Hello! Welcome to the Healthy Habits Happy Home Podcast, hosted by the Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we will bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast. This exciting season brings two new co-hosts, me, Tamara, a registered dietitian and PhD student at the University of Guelph, and me, Marcianne, a master's student at the University of Guelph. We're both working for the Guelph Family Health Study and are thrilled to be your new co-host for this season as the podcast continues to provide evidence-based information and quick tips to help create healthy habits for happy home. We also have another team member on our podcast team, Patricia. Hi, I'm Patricia, a master's student at University of Guelph, and I am the podcast coordinator who will be doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work. If you have an interesting idea for the podcast or a topic you'd love to hear about, feel free to send me an email at piacosta at uoguelph.ca. We have a great season ahead of us with a variety of interesting topics such as supporting aging parents with their nutrition and health, nutrition supplementation, and much, much more. We are looking forward to this journey with you, and we hope that you're able to tune in and enjoy season five. In this episode, we talk with Brooklyn, a registered dietitian with experience working with older adults as a dietitian in long-term care. We'll talk about nutrition and health for older adults and about how parents of young children can help support their own aging parents with nutrition and health. We hope you enjoy this episode. First off, we'd like to welcome Brooklyn to the podcast. To start off, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners by talking about your current role and how your education and experience has led you to where you are? Yeah, hi. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So as Tamara mentioned, my name is Brooklyn Seal, and I am a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. I earned my Bachelor of Applied Science in Applied Human Nutrition from the University of Guelph. So I was actually introduced to the uh, Guelph Family Health Study back in undergrad. I then went on to complete my dietetic internship combined with a Master of Science in Foods and Nutrition from Brescia University. College. And I graduated from this in 2020, just as COVID was beginning. So I'm still fairly new to the field and getting my feet wet with different roles. But currently, my days are spent juggling three different jobs in long-term care, food service management, and diabetes education. And I just recently wrote my diabetes educator exam in May. So for those of you who don't know, a certified diabetes educator, or CDE for short, is a healthcare professional. It can be a nurse, pharmacist, dietitian, etc., with extensive knowledge and skills in diabetes education. So this was something I was working towards over the past year, as you do need a minimum of 800 hours working in diabetes prior to writing the exam. Thanks so much, Brooklyn, for sharing your background with us. It's really great to hear of your knowledge with the Guelph Family Health Study. And I also had the pleasure of doing my master's degree with Brooklyn. So it's really a pleasure to have you on today. 
And I know in my own experience as a dietitian working in a hospital, it can be very rewarding to work with older adults. So I'm wondering what inspired you to want to work with older adults and specifically in long-term care? Yes, great question. Uh, Long-term care really appeals to me because you have the opportunity to build close relationships and build rapport with the residents, their family, and caregivers. I know compared to an acute setting or like the hospital, as you mentioned, where a patient, they may be hospitalized for a few days and then out the door, right? So in long-term care, it's a little bit different. And although it can be sad at times, I do love listening to the stories shared by residents and gaining that wisdom. I also just love the fact that I play a role in promoting, you know, quote unquote, a good death for older adults, especially because because nutrition is a sole source of connection and pleasure at end of life. So as a team, we try to promote comfort and quality of life as best as possible. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. What do you feel like in this, um, as you're working and with your experience, what are some of the biggest nutritional considerations to consider as adults are getting older? Mm-hmm. So a few things do come to mind, you know, such as adequate protein to maintain muscle mass, immune function, and skin integrity, or adequate calcium and vitamin D to maintain strong bones and prevent risk of falls. But I think a common issue I often hear is decreased appetite. As we age and the body starts to slow down, many people find that they can't eat as much as they used to. However, not eating can cause your body to feel weak or sick and you may lose that strength, muscle, and even body weight. So trying to eat what you can will help boost your mood and energy levels and might even help bring back those hunger cues. Uh, So some tips I have often uh, that I share with patients are eating and drinking small frequent meals often because every bite does count. So fueling up on nutritious snacks like cheese and crackers, yogurt and granola, toast and peanut butter, trail mix, etc. And then of course eating more when you do feel hungry and you feel your best. Uh, Trying high calorie drinks like whole milk, protein shakes, smoothies, or even the meal replacements like Encher or Boost can help. And then lastly, moving your body as able just because physical activity can help to stimulate that appetite. Yeah, I think that's such a great point that you bring up about appetite. I think that's one thing that we kind of forget is as, you know, we age and as we get older, we don't necessarily have the same hunger cues that we did when we were younger. So I think it's it's sometimes a difficult transition, especially if we're talking about, you know, you're the child of, of an older adults and you kind of expect them maybe to eat how they used to and, and things are kind of changing in the body. So those are some really helpful tips that you shared with us about how how to kind of combat that lower appetite. Um, And for sure, I love what you said about every bite counts. That's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's 
important too to normalize decreased appetite. A lot of people get kind of scared. Oh, their loved one isn't eating as much as they used to. Um, it is important just to remember that as the body does start to slow down and your metabolism slows down, you don't require as much as you need when you are growing. Um, but then it is important, you know, that you're still getting nutrients and to obtain a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, that's a great point. I just was remembering when my grandmother was living with us, you know, she really loved like the Ferrero Rocher little (laughs) chocolate balls and like Ensure and just like the snacks. And I think for my siblings and I, we got scared because she was very frail and we just saw her kind of snacking a few times. And so we were like, is that okay? Like, should we encourage her to eat other things that are more healthy? And uh, my stepmom, who's a registered nurse, was like, at least she's eating. Let's encourage her to just keep eating something. And she really liked going on uh, walks like in our nearby lake. So instead of getting scared, she really had a talk with us and was like, instead of being scared, let's just cheer grandma on on what she is doing and what she's able to do. And so I really appreciated her kind of acknowledging that fear and just talking us through like, no, at least she's eating. And then we would join her sometimes and eat a Ferrero Rocher and it was nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. One of the things that I remember I would hear frequently when I was working as a dietitian in an acute care setting in a hospital, especially with older adults, was that cooking was this really large barrier. You know, whether it was that they would say, you know, they've cooked for their whole lives and they're just simply kind of tired of it. So they resort maybe to some frozen meals or things like that that might be a bit higher in sodium or a bit more processed or that they were just simply kind of out of ideas, right? They didn't have kind of anything left that was new and exciting that they haven't tried before. Uh, But then also there was another barrier was that they had a lot of food waste because they're used to cooking, you know, for a family, like more than one or, or two people in some cases, right? So acknowledging that this is a difficult transition, how can individuals get used to cooking like for maybe one to two people? Yeah, definitely a big adjustment. I find even as a younger adult, it's still challenging to shop and cook for one. Um, But I would encourage you to think about meals and snacks you enjoy and then start planning around this if you are an older adult. So first, you know, make a grocery list to help Uh, You remember foods you need. If you are shopping on a budget, some grocery stores do offer discount days for seniors. If transportation is an issue, delivery services are becoming more common or you could ask a friend or family member to help. And then in regards to cooking, trying to prepare meals and snacks on days when you have the most energy On days when you are too tired to cook, choosing recipes that only use a few ingredients and require little to no cooking is good. For example, eggs and toast or just pasta and meat sauce. And then another great strategy is to cook once, eat twice. So making meals that are great as leftovers or make larger amounts and freeze the extras for later. You can also check out resources and services in your community like meal and food delivery services, group meal programs, cooking classes, and community kitchens. 
Right. Yeah, those are some really great tips, especially with checking out what's available in the local community. Some of the meal delivery services, like you mentioned, like something like Meals on Wheels might be available in the community. And I know that that's helpful as well. And of course, the cook once, eat twice um, is a great, great thing to remember. I try to do that myself as well. As you mentioned, similar kind of when you're in that young adult stage as well, you're trying not to waste too much food and it can be challenging to, to cook for less for sure. But that's always a great tip is to cook once and then kind of spread it out for the rest of the week. Granted, there's some fr- space in the freezer, I guess. Are there any other barriers that you hear from your patients or clients that you work with frequently regarding eating a nutritious diet and living a healthy lifestyle in general in this population? Absolutely. As you age, your body changes and sometimes these changes can impact your appetite like we discussed. Uh, They can decrease your sense of taste and smell, impact your digestion or ability to chew chew, and swallow. I know working in long-term care, those with dementia start to lose their ability to feed themselves, use cutlery, Or they even try to swallow without chewing because their brain just doesn't work as well as it used to. Other changes in lifestyle may mean, you know, you have less income, have to eat alone more often. You might even be caring for a loved one uh, or you might even have someone else cooking for you. So all of these barriers can add a lot of stress and can definitely be difficult to navigate. Yeah, for sure. And that's interesting what you said about the lower sense of taste and smell, because I think that's one aspect of eating that we kind of forget about sometimes is, you know, we they say, you know, we eat with our eyes first. That's like a common saying, or even like the smell of food, like that kind of triggers um, almost your appetite in a way too, right? So that's a, that's a really interesting point there. And given all these different things like appetite and, you know, some of the more sensory things too, like even just like feeding yourself and uh, the ability to chew and swallow, What are some of the solutions to these barriers that you've seen to be successful in your practice? So I do have a few tips in mind. I think it's important to first touch on dementia just because it is more common as people grow older. About one third of all people age 85 or older may have some form of dementia or loss of cognitive functioning. If you are caring for a loved one with dementia, some strategies that can help support eating and drinking at mealtimes include providing that verbal cueing if um, they're having difficulty, encouraging independence as much as possible, so providing detailed instructions and choosing tasks they are capable of. Also inquiring about food preferences, but don't be surprised if these changes, I I see this all the time, they might say they really enjoy one thing and then two days later it might be something that they really hate. Being careful of safety issues, right? So things like forgetting to turn off the oven, really assessing if someone is capable of living alone in that sense. Making use of adaptive devices. So there's lots of different tools out there uh, to help with this, like lip plates or different cups with lids and stuff to help that independence. Uh, Minimizing distractions and avoiding loud noises. Simplifying the table settings. So sometimes older adults, if there's too much on the table, they get confused. So it's better to just have less is more. And then, of course, do not rush. And then for that chewing and swallowing aspect, 
Um, if you are having difficulties, you, maybe you require dentures or if that's something that you just refuse to use, adding moisture to foods like gravies, sauces, sour cream, butter can help make the food go down a lot easier. Chopping veggies and meat into smaller bite-sized pieces. And then like avoiding foods like dry, crumbly, or hard breads, granola, nuts, crackers, any foods that are higher risk of choking. Uh, but it's just important to get creative in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's a great tip. And I imagine like even some of these tips that you were saying um, in terms of dementia, it, I think it almost applies to like everyone too, right? Like the food preferences, those seem to change as we age as, you know, young children as well will change their food preferences quite a bit often. Sure. But it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, with the taste and, and the smell aspect of as well. And even uh, the tip that you provided on minimizing distractions as well. Like, again, that's, that's definitely useful, I think, for all all ages. Because it's, it's easy to get distracted by a screen or, or whatever it is. So those are some really helpful tips for sure. So thank you for sharing those. Yeah, we definitely, when my grandmother was living with us, had to implement that because there was a time where I was doing some schoolwork and she was cooking for herself, but also had to help watch my siblings. And like an hour and a half goes by and I start smelling something burning <laughs> and we go down and the pot is just black. There was rice in there, no more rice anymore. So it's just like, okay, if, if grandma said that she is going to cook for herself like multitasking like that is not the beneficial it's not the most helpful so um just having uh I don't think we had like a sit down conversation with her because we didn't want to make her feel bad but it was definitely like okay let's not have her babysit and cook mm -hmm. at the same time <laughs> let's mm -hmm. just pick one <laughs> yeah for sure the safety aspect is important yeah. in that case <laughs> and then it never happened again well, I did want to ask, I know we're um, kind of, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID, but it definitely has affected things for the past couple of years. So I wanted to ask, how has COVID-19 affected the aging population that you work with? And has it changed the way that you approach their care plans? Yeah, another great question. I think similar to any population, the physical isolation has really affected that mental health side of things. I know in long-term care, we are still dealing with COVID outbreaks, unfortunately, and consequently, residents are isolated to their rooms. So we really start to see how loneliness impacts eating. And this is a really important aspect of healthy eating because it's not always about what you eat, right? It's also about how you eat. And so eating with others, socializing and connecting over food is all part of living a healthy lifestyle. In these cases, I often see isolation lead to decreased oral intake. So we really try to optimize their nutrition by providing foods they enjoy. I'll often meet with the residents, ask them what their preferences are. We also have different higher calorie fortified products on hand. So things like fortified milk, puddings, or cereals um, can often try to get some more calories and protein into them. 
And then, of course, meal replacement drinks, as I mentioned, like Encher, Boost, Resource 2.0, if needed. I always like to recommend a food-first approach first, but as a last resort, uh, lots of residents, when they do have decreased appetite, I do find they drink better than they eat. So then we uh, implement these drinks if necessary. No, great point. That's so true. I think eating is such a, it's a social thing, you know, and so many of our social gatherings and big moments can be around food. You know, food is, is always there. So definitely that was a great point. And it's, it's great to know that they have you to help them to even think through that and to have that as a consideration and to even ask for their food preferences. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, and like you said, like food, especially in older adults and as we start to reach our end of life, like you said, Mm -hmm. food is really all they have. So it's important to, you know, provide as much quality of life through the things and social aspect that we can. So when COVID hits, it it is hard and it is a struggle just to see that taken away from the residents or older adults. But hopefully, like you said, we'll see some light at the end of the tunnel soon. Yeah, for sure. And especially like what you were saying, um, food is kind of something that they have as they near and approach that end of life stage. I think it's just like so important to remember that food is one of the things that we kind of have control over. Like we can't necessarily control the things, you know, that happen to us, but with our food choices, there's still that aspect of like, I can have a preference and I can, you know, I can kind of choose um, what I would like to eat. Right. Yeah. Definitely a sense of dignity. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Great point. Great points. So thank you again for sharing all of that. It does give us great insight into what the aging population faces in terms of barriers to and some helpful solutions also regarding following a healthy diet and lifestyle. And we know that making these healthful decisions is most successful with the support of those around us. So being a child to older adults and a parent of young children brings forth a number of responsibilities between juggling kids and also trying to help out their own parents. So I wanted to ask, how can parents of young children better support their own parents with their nutrition and health as they age? Yeah, I think first things first, it's important to remember to take care of yourself first. Many people do get caught up in taking care of everyone else that their own health starts to suffer. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but I just wanted to put that out there. Also, just trying to maximize where you can. So, obviously, ask your loved one what you can do to help. But, you know, if you're already grabbing groceries for your kids, you could potentially purchase a few more things for your parents. Or on the weekend, let's say you're cooking a nice family meal. Maybe you can invite your parents over for dinner to join. So that way, you know, they're getting that pleasure and social aspect out of the the meal. And then If you do decide to batch cook, let's say a large casserole or stew or something, you could always pack up some leftovers and give it to your parents to eat or freeze for later. I'm sure they would love you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think that um, 
I love what you said about the grocery shopping and asking, like asking your parents, you know, is there anything I can get for you? Because I think, again, that's kind of what we've been talking about. It's it's giving them the choice and giving them options. And it kind of it helps with that dignity. And also it kind of helps to combat that lack of choice. That is what it appears to be like as you as you get older. So I think that's that's such an easy thing to do is to maybe just ask like what they would like. And also, of course, inviting, you know, if if uh, it's possible and you're with if you're close to them, you know, in the same geographical region, sharing food is such an important part of combating that loneliness that we've unfortunately, um, you know, heard about and seen a lot of throughout the pandemic. So something as simple as sharing like one meal together can make a really huge difference. Yeah, for sure. I, I also like what you said about taking care of yourself first as well. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but I can just imagine like all of the responsibilities you have and and there might be some guilt there that you can't do everything. <laughs> so even just re- remembering to do what you can and take care of yourself so that you're even in a better, you know, mental and, and physical state to put your all into helping your, your parents when you can. Yeah. Well, before we end our episode, we usually ask our guests to share three take-home tips for the parents. So I wanted to ask, what are three quick tips you could share with our listeners so that they can better support aging parents with their health and nutrition? Yeah, so definitely a lot of different points to consider. But if I had to pick three quick tips, I think number one would be to explore the resources in your community. Like I said before, they're all, they are there to help you and your parents. So things like meal and food delivery services, lunch clubs, community kitchens, volunteer service centers to support you with shopping. Take advantage of these. These are there to help you. Um, so definitely explore those. Uh, secondly, Ensure that your parents or whoever your loved ones have a variety of healthy foods on hand. It's always a good idea to stock your pantry with nutritious, non-perishable food items like peanut butter, skim milk powder, canned veggies, pasta sauce, canned fish, beans, lentils, rice, oatmeal, all of those things so that, you know, that way when you can't get to the grocery store, you do have some items on hand that are really versatile. And then lastly, I think always seek out medical advice from appropriate healthcare professionals and make sure your loved ones are attending regular routine follow-ups, checkups, whatever it may be. Because, you know, older adults, Older adults are at risk for chronic diseases. They also typically tend to be on several medications, which can lead to food and drug interactions. So we just want to make sure they are consistently being assessed for nutrition problems early on in order to get the appropriate education, treatment, and services they need. And those are some really excellent tips and some great things to remember. I feel like some of the things that you shared with us are kind of easy to forget. Even some of the food items that you were mentioning that'd be a great idea to stock your pantry with are kind of things I think that we forget about sometimes, but they're actually quite nutritious and quite easy to grab and also keep well. So it's a really great, a great tip there and easy take home for our listeners, as well as, you know, the advice to seek help from a healthcare uh, professional whenever needed as well. 
For sure. So thank you so much, Brooklyn, for sharing your time, knowledge, and your expertise with us on the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I hope your listeners uh, could take home some helpful information. Thank you so much. We hope that our listeners enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next time. 